0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, Trump's taxes and some terrifying new advances in war technology. But first, Uber drivers go on strike. Apps off. Apps on. Apps off. That's the sound of Uber and Lyft drivers in Los Angeles asking fellow drivers to turn off their apps as part of a 24 hour strike designed to raise awareness of what they argue is inadequate pay and poor working conditions. It's a national movement primarily today in 10 large U.S. cities and comes just days before Uber is expected to go public on the New York Stock Exchange in what could be one of the largest IPOs of all time. So two things we know so far. First, this has gotten a lot of the nation's attention judging by traditional media and social media mentions. Second, Uber and Lyft users are still able to get rides pretty easily. Twitter is full of screenshots from reporters showing all these cars right around them. I even logged into Uber this morning from my home office and learned I could get an airport ride in just five minutes, which is better than usual in my small town. The discrepancy here is that organizing ride-hail drivers for a strike is extremely difficult much more so than organizing folks at other, more traditional companies. For starters, there's no company directory for organizers to rely on for mass communication or a central office where drivers meet and can share stories. Plus, the ride hail companies themselves have always been designed around what they call dynamic pricing, which means they may have offered added incentives for drivers to be on the road today. Kind of like what they would do on a busy night like New Year's Eve. Some drivers, even if sympathetic to the strikers cause, might not feel they can afford to pass up the extra pay. And then there's also the matter of pre-announcing that the strike will only last 24 hours. That makes sense for those drivers living paycheck to paycheck, but doesn't give organizers much leverage over Uber and Lyft, who have been explicitly told that this too shall pass. The bottom line? Ride hail drivers are upset. And we'll get even more upset when they read about all the early Uber employees and shareholders who get minted as millionaires on Friday. But they've got a very long road before achieving meaningful change. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with ride-hail driver Joss Cashin, who's among those protesting today in Los Angeles. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the
1: ProRata podcast.
0: We're joined now by Joss Cashin, joining us from Los Angeles International Airport, where she is protesting with other ride hail drivers. So, Joss, in short, why are you protesting today?
1: Mostly, it's uh, for a lot of our drivers, it's about pay, but really, it's about the working conditions. And just, um, you know, we've, there's been a pattern of, of increasing mistreatment of drivers basically since these companies came into the market. And uh, so they finally just. Um, you know, they've crossed the line in, in the sand where drivers just aren't going to take it anymore. And so we're angry and we're out here making a scene, trying to make some change happen.
0: Explain that to me. So the pay, I understand, and we'll talk about again. On the mistreatment, what do you mean by that specifically?
1: The rates have been cut so much that basically you're forced to work for Uber and Lyft promotion, whatever that may be. And usually those involve a very high amount of rides, which basically make you into a full-time driver if you want uh, you know, if you want to have a chance of making above minimum wage there's somewhere you'll have to do like three rides in a row, five rides in a row, six rides in a row. And, you know, those rides could be anywhere from five minutes to up close to an hour long each, depending on what traffic's like. And there's no way for you to pick and choose which ones you're going to get. So that a lot of times can force you to work for very long stretches of time without taking a break or being able to, like, you know, stretch without breaking your streak. And so you have to accept every ride, basically, in order to get these promotions and it just makes you work longer and longer hours. It's ridiculous. I'm burned out from it. I do this part-time and, I, you know, and I'm in my mid-20s and I've already got back problems going on. And so I can't imagine what the more full-time drivers are are dealing with.
0: A question would be, okay, nationwide, we're in a a fairly low, very low unemployment situation. There are generally other jobs available to people. Why continue to drive for Uber and Lyft if the pay is below minimum wage, or you're arguing the pay is below minimum wage and the conditions are terrible?
1: Varies from driver to driver. We've got our minds on the the bigger picture. You know, even if we move on to another job, someone's still going to be doing this job. And so um, when someone tells me, like, you know, you should get another job, what I hear is, you know, you want to be driven by someone who's, you know, even more desperate and even worse off than the current drivers and, you know, that's just that's not right. You know, there's just a certain amount of, of money that you need to live in a community. And you know, I don't think it's fair for drivers not to be able to, to exist in the communities they serve. And th- these drivers that they're busing in an hour away, two hours away, three hours away from San Francisco to go work, that's a travesty to me.
0: One of the reasons that riders started to prefer ride hail to taxi, there was two, where I obviously the convenience was one, being able to not have to stand on the corner waiting for a cab, and the other was they were cheaper. And the, the rides have continued to be cheaper and continue to get subsidized. Uber and Lyft lose billions of dollars a year still. What's the end game in this is is the end game you think drivers get paid more and the rides then price wise become more on par with cabs cuz someone's going to have to eat that extra cost the companies aren't profitable
1: Somewhat of a cop out for them to claim that they're not profitable because you know they have a lot of uh, expenses that you know I think that aren't really necessary to their core business. Like all of these uh, you know these acquisitions and this, this marketing war they're in with their competitors and subsidizing the rides to undercut everyone and, and compete with like public transportation. Even you know I don't even know if if riders would have to pay more if you know if Uber and Lyft weren't taking a ridiculous commission. They're taking 40 to 60 percent. We've seen as high as 92 percent that they're taking of of the ride. There, I saw a receipt. The other day, where the, the rider paid $40 and the driver got three. So you can imagine if they would just, you know, if they could be a little bit more modest and just focus on their core business instead of just trying to take over the world uh, and get rich quick with this, uh, you know, this IPO scheme, then they could they could give drivers a more fair shake. And I think passengers would be in favor of that.
0: Well, I'm curious, the, the, guess, when you say IPO scheme, I mean, the, the company's going public, lots of companies go public. When you say acquisitions, but they do still on ride Hail itself if you look at their numbers on the core business on on their average rides whether it be in the US or in other markets they still lose money per ride both of these companies
1: do that may be true in more like emerging markets but uh, from what i understand at least in here in LA this is like one of their top 5 cities they should be able to pay drivers a living wage here i think that if their strategy was to keep drivers happy then they could do it but i think they've written drivers off and then um, as far as you know, the get-rich-quick scheme, this is my opinion. But uh, I think that this IPO is, is all the people who need to make money from this, who have been working on making money for this for a while, they're cashing out, and they're leaving... Uh, the public holding the bag. I, I think that's what's, what's going on. I, I don't think that they have any serious plan to become profitable. And, and according to their perspective, that that seems to be what's going on.
0: Josh, I wonder, you know, one of the things with this IPO and lifted this too, but to a lesser extent, it was a smaller IPO, is that there are cash rewards for certain drivers in this, uh, kind of long-term drivers who've completed X number of rides, anything between ten and $40,000. In theory, it's money you can either, you know, use to pay off debts or put under your mattress, or you could use to buy shares at the IPO. So I'm curious. Did you qualify for this? And do you know anybody who did?
1: Uh, I, I personally didn't uh, because I uh, I work part time. I, th- I signed up in in 2015, uh, and then I moved away from LA for a little while, so a little bit more than a year, and then moved back. And when I moved back, it was it was awful. Um, but but my rides are also they're spread out between Uber and Lyft, and then I also do like some food delivery type stuff, and then. Uh, and then I'm a student too, so I didn't even make the threshold. I think it was like um, 1,500 rides on Uber or something like that, and I was just just barely shy of it. I had like 1,300, 1,400. I have spoken to a, a few drivers who got the bonus, and then uh, I've heard of a few drivers as well who uh, who Uber kind of pulled a, a fast one and, and uh, you know found every way possible to deactivate the drivers. Like you know if they're you know if they had a document expiring or, or you know something like that, they would. Um, Found ways to cheat people out of it, from what I understand, what I was hearing on uh, social media. But yeah, even drivers who got it, it's just not a very fair amount, considering like the 10,000 rides that you have to get to get the uh, you know the top. Uh the top tier bonus, if you divide it out by how many rides that you have to get to get that that huge amount, it's not really that much per ride.
0: Final question for you. Obviously, organizing ride-hail drivers is extremely difficult, just the the structural difficulties of it compared to a a traditional company. And if you open an Uber or Lyft app today, there's still tons of cars out there on the road. Do you believe that today's strike will force a change at Uber and Lyft, or is this more about raising awareness that we'll get there eventually?
1: From my personal experience, just watching the the trajectory of Uber and Lyft uh, since they come onto the market, I don't get the impression that they will capitulate to drivers at all. They don't seem to care at all about about the drivers. You know, that's uh, you know they're in a hurry to to replace it. So yeah, this is today. This is mostly about raising awareness. Uh, with with passengers, you know, we're we're going to hurt their pocketbook a little bit uh, because we're encouraging passenger boycotts as well. But secondary to to the financial impact is just yeah, raising awareness, and then also, you know, hopefully drawing the eye of, of regulators who can, um, you know, since Uber and Lyft aren't have, have no no profit motive to to make things better for drivers, and since we are below. Uh, you know what we we would consider to be a, a living wage, then you know the regulators are going to need to to make that happen for us, since the companies aren't aren't likely to comply.
0: Josh Cashin, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. My final two, right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com.
1: And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast.
0: Now it's time for my final two, and first up, are President Trump's tax returns. No, no, not the ones that he and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin won't give up to Congress, but older ones, uncovered by the New York Times from the 1980s and 1990s, showing that, quote, Year after year, Mr. Trump appears to have lost more money than nearly any other individual American taxpayer. End quote. Trump took to Twitter this morning to respond, arguing that the losses were standard for real estate developers of that era due to permitted write-offs and depreciation. But then he also called the Times story a, quote, highly inaccurate hit job. Or put another way, everyone did it, but you're a liar if you say I did it. And finally, this morning, Axios's Cava Waddell reports that war weaponry is becoming more about computer code than about metal and rivets. Or more specifically, it's about weapons designed by using artificial intelligence. Kaveh cites experts who say such weapons can be erratic and easily stolen, thus making violent conflict more likely and yielding fewer winners. For example, South Korea already has automated turrets on its border, while Israel patrols the Gaza border with autonomous drones. Now, the U.S. does have a clear-cut policy against using weapons that target and kill people without any human input but most countries don't. And the U.S. has actually blocked attempts to create a U.N. ban against autonomous killing machines. In short, this will get worse and maybe never get better. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national coconut cream pie day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.